Hello, I'm Ron Harnevo, and thanks for joining another episode of Accent. I guess you've noticed from my first sentence that I have an accent. Um, it's something that immediately stands out, almost to signal that I'm not from here, although I am. I live in New York for the past 10 years, but I'm also Israeli, that's true, um, which is where I grew up. It's my culture. And during the years, I realized I'm becoming a mixed bag of both, and it's a big part of my identity. I'm an entrepreneur with an accent. I'm also a father with an accent. And I'm now an internet CEO of Homies, which is a new platform only for people with accents. So that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to dive to the life of successful foreign-born people. And I do it because I believe that behind every accent, there is such a deep and complex and a funny world. So I met Shafkat Islam for the first time around seven years ago. Like me, he was a foreign-born CEO of a pretty successful small startup in the middle of New York. And unlike me, his last name was Islam. And he came from Bangladesh. And I've never met an entrepreneur from Bangladesh. So it kind of blew my mind. And then I met him and he blew my mind. And since then, really against most odds, Shafkat has built a huge digital company with such a unique DNA. Hello, Shafkat. Thank you for inviting me. Super excited to chat. So do I. So let's see if my research is right. You're 37. Uh, that is correct. Nice. And you are married? I am, so to, far. To? To a beautiful wife who I met 10 years ago. Two kids. Yeah. And she is Nepalese. Am I right? Your research is very good. So no, she's, that's you told me. I remember she, that. <laughs> she is uh, originally from Nepal, but she immigrated to Switzerland, so carries a Swiss passport. Lived in America for a few years when she was a child. So, so okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about <laughs> your very yeah. sophisticated identity uh, and internationalism. But for people who don't know, you've co-founded a company ten years ago called Newscred. It's a venture-backed startup, but it's pretty big right now. You have um, three, four offices around the world? We do. We have offices in Bangladesh, in London, New York, Austin. We're about 200 people. 200 people and, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars in revenues? Tens of millions of dollars, yes. Successful, I guess, by certain metrics. We are always still grinding it out. And the thing is that, you know, we didn't come to talk about Newscred today. Although I think I'm excited about that. I'm I talk sure. about Newscred too much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly what I wrote. But I'm actually very interested in your personal story, which I think is just very different and, and kind of exceptional. And what I want to know is also how your personal story um, created the DNA of Newscred mm -hmm. and your life in America. So you are from Bangladesh. I am. I, I was born with a Bangladeshi passport. Yeah, you can, your, like your accent sometimes pops up. It's very polished, but when you say <laughs> it. And I would say, I don't know, how many percentages of Americans don't even know what Bangladesh is? If they know what Bangladesh is, they might know because they saw something on TV about famines or floods, or they have a taxi driver who told them they're from Bangladesh, or maybe they're in a small town and their doctor is from Bangladesh. 
Oh, there's a lot of Bangladeshi doctors in small towns? Uh, not a lot, but that's how they know. Like, oh, yeah, there's this one brown guy in my and, town. And when you <laughs> identify yourself as someone from Bangladesh, do people admit that they don't know anything? Or, like, what's the uh, average kind of a... I'd say 50% is, if I had to say, half the people yeah. will know where Bangladesh is. Other half might think it's somewhere in India. All right. You know, we're going to talk about your success later, but one of the most interesting things about your company is that you still operate from Bangladesh and you have offices in Dhaka, right? Yeah, not only do we still operate there, a lot of people don't know, we actually started, like the first few employees and the first ever office we had was in the basement of my co-founder's parents' clinic, medical clinic in Bangladesh. And that was the only office we had because we had no money. Yeah. And I lived in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And we needed a place to start and we needed to hire people. And we said, you know what? One of my co-founders, he's also uh, he's Swedish. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, why don't you move to Bangladesh since your parents are there? They have this clinic. Can you get news cred off the ground and start an office there? So that's how we started in Bangladesh and we're still there. How do you explain Bangladesh to people? Like, what is it? It's a good question. I think for the people who don't know, they've never heard the word. Yeah. I start by describing geographically where it is. Okay. So just for people who don't know, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, next to India. East side of India. It's east side of India. It's actually, a lot of people don't know, it has a border with Burma, uh-huh. Myanmar. Uh-huh. And obviously there's a lot going on in the world right. in Myanmar today. And right. so it's it's Which quite relative. Which is also relative. related to religion and Muslims and Christians yeah, exactly. and Buddhism. Uh, and then... We have an amazing culture. We have our own language. We have amazing food. We have pe- people are are just very different. I can uniquely identify certain traits about Bangladeshis um, that I don't think exist necessarily in a country like India. Yeah, I think everybody has that. What are the unique ones? Uh, so, resourcefulness, I'll say, is something that Bangladeshis have in ways that are almost astounding and clever because we've been forced to be resourceful because we don't have any money. Right? Bangladeshis are sure, poor. Yeah. There's not that many industries for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we were a newborn country, 1971. Yeah. Right? So it's, uh, yeah, pretty much. It's newer than a lot of us and yeah. our friends. So we've had to be scrappy as kind of part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And when Bangladeshis travel uh, or when they stay at home, there's always stories of like resourcefulness and creativity in how they do things. I give you one, um, maybe it's a silly story, yeah, cool. but we there, like the silly there, there's, stories. A, there's a, my dad's friend, my dad and his friend traveled for work when they were younger, for their first jobs. My dad works in the UN at this point yeah. in Thailand. This is in the early 80s. And Bangladeshis weren't always traveling outside of Bangladesh at that point. And sure. so they were in Indonesia or something for a, yeah. um, a conference and they missed home-cooked food. Right, and so they're in a fancy hotel. They're like, what do we do? So somehow they came up with this idea that they're going to uh, boil some eggs in the sink with hot water, and then cool. use those Very to clever. cook in the room. And it created some mess, fire alarm, this, yeah. that. The story goes on, but it's just a unique thing of like when people miss the, or they love their culture and they miss it, they're gonna do kind of things to bring it back to wherever they happen to be. And just to give people some perspective, so Bangladesh is uh, it's a developing country, yeah. uh, and it's the eighth most populous in the world. Yeah, 160 million people, 
And it's the world's third largest Muslim-majority yeah. country. And also 100 million people live in poverty in yeah. Bangladesh. So you grew up in Bangladesh and many other places, right? So yeah. tell us a little bit more about what's homeland for you. So my parents were immigrants as well early, mm-hmm. right? So they grew up in Bangladesh yeah. and they immigrated to the UK for studies. Okay. So that was one generation of immigration we had. And then they eventually moved back to Bangladesh and got a job at the UN. I was lucky because I grew up in a lot of different countries where my parents were posted. Yeah. But we always went back to Bangladesh so for many the, months. The tour. So it's Bangladesh, then. Bangladesh, Thailand, India, Switzerland. Those were countries where I grew up. Spent substantial time in. Yeah. Uh-huh. And for Bangladesh, even when I was not living there, uh, because I I was born in Thailand, in fact, not many people know that. Okay. Um, we used to spend anywhere from three to six months in Bangladesh every year, right? So growing up, you know, you mentioned some stats about 100 million people being in poverty. Yeah. We were exposed to that by our parents, deliberately so, from the day we were born until even today. What does it mean? So it means that I, and and I hope I do this for my kids, but I never took our situation for granted Mm -hmm. because I had food and shelter and family and support and love. But if you go to Bangladesh and you just walk around the streets there, there is extreme poverty in every corner of Bangladesh. It's changed a lot even in the last 20 years, but I remember growing up and being very impacted when I would show up there and you see what the level of life people have to live and what level of poverty they have to live with. And it also explains why they're resourceful or compassionate, they have empathy because they don't have a lot. Um, And then your parents, like, do they tell you you are, like, you know, you live in Thailand, you live like a kid can get a, like, an an identity kind of complex. We were always Bangladeshi. I think that was it. And even today, when someone asks me, where are you from? I think you started the the podcast with a question like that. My instinctive, natural answer is still 100% of the time Bangladesh. I don't even have a Bangladesh passport today. To be honest, I didn't renew it. And my parents tell me, oh, go renew your passport. So you come in with your American. I have a Swiss passport. Swiss I don't have, passport. I have a green card okay. and a Swiss passport. Oh, okay. And it's, I've just been too lazy to go renew it and yeah, wait in the embassy. Yeah. If you've been to the Bangladesh embassy, you probably wouldn't want to renew a passport I, I, I either. I assume the lines are <laughs> Yeah, lines, it's yeah. like crazy. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. To me, what passport I own or where I live, I'm still Bangladeshi. Why? I mean... Yeah, That's a very I, complicated answer, but... Uh, you know, when I showed you Homies for the first time, the product, um, and I wrote it here, you, you told me that I didn't spend a lot of time in Bangladesh. Three to six months a year. Yeah, but I'm from there. For sure. What does it mean? So when I say I'm from there, it's the culture I, I identify with. I have a lot of pride mm-hmm. um, with with being from Bangladesh. I think a lot of it comes from parents, to be honest. I, I Are you known there? With your success? I would, you... So we were not, a lot of people ask, oh, no, like. No, but today. When today you're... I'm pretty known. Like we just got an award yesterday, I found out, from the Daily Star, which is the main newspaper, where they gave me and my co-founders, I think, some award, like amazing lifetime achievement for a Bangladeshi, and we're going to get it from the one of the ministers. Yeah. So a little bit more known today than five years ago, but we didn't come from a known family or okay. anything. We're just regular middle class people. Um. So, when do you basically go to UPenn? Uh, all right. So, I went to Switzerland for two years. Yeah. And at this point, I was still traveling around with my parents. So, 
I hadn't officially immigrated anywhere. I was still yeah. a Bangladeshi kid, now living in Geneva. I moved to UPenn when I was 18. That was the first time I came to the U.S. Yeah. As a student. So F1 visa, if of you course. know about visas, yes, yes. I'm sure you do. Like, that's the first time I came to the U.S. All right. So tell me, great university, you're 18. Met lots of awesome people. Tell me about you know, Didn't the study first as hard as I should have. experience of, of America. The, yeah, of America. I, by the way, I came once to visit. When uh-huh. I was a child, yeah, and we pulled into the suburban home of my uncle or something, and he had this button he pressed in the car, and the garage door opened automatically. And I thought America <laughs> is the most amazing place in the entire universe. <laughs> so, first experience of America, I loved it. It was very different. Yeah. Luckily, I spent a little bit of time in Switzerland, so. I had so seen Western some Western world, yeah. like society. It wasn't yeah. like a first time I was exposed to Western society. I mean, it's it, Philadelphia. Growing up in a big or spending time in a big city in West Philly, it was like kind of the ghetto at that time. It wasn't very developed. It wasn't fancy. Like now, it's a lot nicer. Like did it you, was raw, you, and I loved it. Did you feel welcome? Um, yeah. This was all pre nine eleven. Correct. So yeah, at that time I felt very welcome. <laughs> So this was 99 when 99. I arrived in the U.S. And then in brief, although it was a long period, you go back to Switzerland. And, you know, for me, Switzerland, I've been to Switzerland a few times. I always feel like it's an agnostic place. Neutral. Neutral. Everything. But I was like, yeah, on everything. Is that a good perception? Of- uh, yeah, I think it is. It's a little boring. Mm-hmm. It's stable. It's a good place. Good lifestyle. Um, Foreign friendly. Used to be more. Used to be more. Yeah, like everywhere else in the world, I think it's changing a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, G- Geneva is an interesting place because the I think the stats are that um, most people who live in Geneva actually are not from Geneva. They're either yeah. from other countries or other parts of Europe. The foreign-born percentages there, from what we know, is ab- above 40%, and that's before the Swiss that have yeah. moved. And so it's a pretty cosmopolitan place. I think nowadays Switzerland is going through some of the same challenges as other European countries. There's xenophobia and mm-hmm. fear of foreigners, fear of Muslims, etc. And then you go corporate. I think it's kind of like, you know, you follow your education, which was, you know, yeah. high-end one. You get into Mary Lynch. Yeah. Actually, so I after university, I stayed in, in New York. I worked at Merrill Lynch. I thought I was going to live here. I didn't know I was going to move back Got to you. Switzerland. But then 9-11 happened. And that prompted, actually, that was one of the reasons why I ended up moving back to Switzerland pre-NewsCred. Huh. And I that's big. Be- I can expand on that. Of yeah, course you're going to expand on so that. So 9-11 happened, and, you know, I was like, okay, it's, a, and I, li- I was just moving to New York City. Yeah. All my family was in New York City. It's a big deal. And then I didn't feel as welcome as I did before. You know, you asked me that question. Of course. Um it wasn't just a feeling coming in and out, airports. I remember spending eight hours at JFK one time for no reason. I remember getting visas every year renewed was yeah. a complete pain in the ass. Sometimes my— There's something humili—I think immigration in airports is kind of one of the most humiliating yeah. places for profiling and, and Listen, when I was waiting for eight hours, you look around the room, who else is waiting for eight hours? Everyone looked like me. Mm-hmm. And then I just got tired of it. And I said, you know what? 
Let me go back to Geneva. Maybe Geneva can be my home. I had also met my wife at a social event in the meantime when I was there on vacation. Yeah. I said, you know what? I met her. I didn't know she was going to become my wife, but here's a lovely woman. My parents are there. It seems more welcoming. I'm going to move back. I don't want to deal with this immigration, visa, airport stuff anymore. And, and was it more friendly? At that time, it was still pretty good. And yeah. like, yeah, Switzerland, listen, Switzerland welcomed me. I lived there for many years. Eventually, I applied for my naturalization. I got a Swiss passport. So I'm very grateful to uh-huh. Switzerland. So you're 27. Um, you've done so much. You've moved around so much. So yeah. I guess you're super international yeah. at that point. And you decide to start He's a new yeah. startup. So tell me about the early days, which usually are way more interesting than... Uh, so I was in Geneva. Yeah. One of my co-founders, Iraj, was in Sweden, who then moved to Bangladesh, to Dhaka. That's the amazing. other co-founder was who I met at Penn was in the U.S. And so we basically started this company. And Offshore, the, uh, video yeah, chat, video Skype. Video chat, Skype. Yeah. Yeah, if Skype wasn't around, we couldn't have yeah. done it. Uh, but you know what? Like People ask me, how do I develop into cities? I'm like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. Otherwise, I've ne- I never had one office yeah. I had for the first year. But like, I think it helps it. because of our backgrounds. We're not from one place. Having an office in multiple places feels totally natural. I agree in fact, it may be that. one of the benefits of not having a singular home, right? Is everywhere feels like home. And, you know, raising money as a Muslim immigrant from Bangladesh. <laughs> not living in the U.S. at that time. Yeah. Though. What is that? It's, it, it sounds like a, a politically correct version of immigration. <laughs> so it was very difficult theoretically okay. right? because everyone says, oh, you must know people in Silicon Valley. You must know investors. You have to be part of the club. I didn't know anybody. I know the drill. I didn't know a single person. In fact, I was like this little brown kid in Geneva, Switzerland, uh-huh. trying to build a startup. I used to read about it on TechCrunch, like what it was like to raise money. Um <laughs> But I will say, like, honestly, we just hustled our way into getting introductions. I remember, like, reading blogs of investors leaving comments to build some sort of And relationship. And went to the Valley to raise the money? Uh, yeah. There was a guy named Fred Destin. Uh, he, he was at Excel for a while. Yeah. He lived in Geneva. Somehow I networked my way through his blog, leaving comments, met him for lunch. He... Send an email, introduce me to Naval, who's who was the founder of AngelList. Yeah. And AngelList had barely started. At that point, AngelList was an email that Naval used to send to all his investors that he knew. He liked us, and they sent out an email to all these investors saying, hey, there's this interesting company called NewsCred. Who wants to take a look? Did you ever feel a barrier of being a foreign-born and raising money? Throughout, you know, the success of NewsCred, or you, or you just... I, cause I, I don't think that exists, to be honest. Sometimes we create barriers out of perception. Uh-huh. I think I just have a little bit of a, a leap of faith that people are good, naturally. I will say what was hard was I didn't really think about, okay, what happens if I get the money? That's good troubles how, to have. I don't feel sorry how, for that. How do I go to America? Because I had raised all this, I raised this money and then the investors assumed. So NewsCred assumed is doing well. It's doing content marketing. We're not going to get into the specifics. In Geneva. In Geneva. And then after 9-11, you decide to come back. Well, we had raised the money. Somehow I managed to raise a seed round from institutional investors. Yeah. And then they were said, well, okay, by the way, when when's your date of arrival? And I said, what arrival? I had it on my term sheet. 
Oh, really? Yeah. So nothing was in our term sheet, which I'm surprised by. Maybe oh, they didn't. I had even, a date. Maybe they didn't even know that honestly that I lived in Geneva. To be honest, <laughs> they just maybe they just assumed. Okay. You know, it's floodgate. Mike Maples, bless his heart. You probably thought I li- lived in New York, and at that point I was like, shoot, now I got to figure out how to get to America, and as you know. It's not easy to get to America. Like immigration is hard. Yeah. And then again, I started reading blogs and talking to people and other immigrants. How did you get to America? Well, how can I get to America? And what's again, the hole you found? What's the hole? Yeah. What's the? I found L one visa. L one is amazing. It's I had a, an L one. Yeah. Visa chat's really interesting. People who have gone through <laughs> this process, they love figuring out like, oh, what visa did you manage? Oh man, visa is such a fetish for foreign yeah. people. Um, so I somehow managed an L1A visa. Yeah. Got here, and yeah, I, you know, it, it hasn't always been easy. I'm not gonna with the, my last name, and work. It's been easier. I never felt like investors cared or. Customers, for example, I have had one or two customers who well, don't good, love that, it. That, that's that's giving America a very good grade. But in my personal life, it hasn't always been. All that right, we'll easy. touch your personal, but yeah. I'm like at least for Work, the high tech and the startup community. Yeah, I've never, I've never. You're felt, giving it a good grade in I terms give, of yeah. tolerance and openness. Yeah. But I think that's I think great so. to hear. Yeah, I give you know, it a. I always say a minority, and then people tell me, "Oh, you're Jewish, you're fine." I was like, "Okay," but you're saying the same thing that I've. Felt like I came here yeah. with my accent, and I actually felt that the tech community was very open to it. Uh, completely, investors, employees. I have tons of people who are American who've never seen a foreigner, Jewish people, Israelis. Yeah. In the beginning, honestly, Newscred was almost exclusively Jews and Muslims. That's so cool. <laughs> and that's like the first ten. Do you have th- a good explanation for it? N- no. This is I just think people are good and people don't care about all this other stuff. They just want to build awesome stuff. They have stuff. a good mission. Yeah. Yeah. So what's Bangladeshi about Newscred? All three founders are Bangladeshi. Okay. We're committed to Bangladesh in ways that are probably unnatural for an American company. Because and your investors are very cool with it. Yeah. Well, investors are cool with it because they think of it as like, oh, cost it's saving. cost saving, yeah, opex, benefit, blah yeah. blah blah. <laughs> we think there's an opportunity for us to build the biggest technology company in Bangladesh, the first Bangladeshi company to go public in the U.S. to build a I startup. Think that's super inspiring. Uh, uh, build a startup ecosystem in Bangladesh. We're the first tech startup in Bangladesh. Now there's hundreds. There might be thousands. Wow. There were none when we started. Wow. So the culture that you implement in terms of like <laughs> DNA, I would say we're not politically correct, for example. Yeah. I mean, you grew up in Yupen, so you know, I guess you have more of a, a good eye, but like... People say crazy things if that's what you want. No, I'm asking, uh, do you hire differently than American CEOs? Do you basically get a, a, a different breed of American employees that can fit this DNA of internationalism? Yeah, I mean, listen, we, are, we speak our mind. So for example, news credit is is very publicly and officially pro-immigration. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know it, and I'm very happy to hear it. So we fund through our philanthropic efforts, small, we're not a huge, we're not Salesforce, but whatever we do, uh, fund immigration-related charities or organizations. Our legal team always participates in immigration-related briefs or filings or lawsuits that happen. And you take the expenses, I guess. Yeah, I publicly blog about it. Our lawyers went to the airports when the Muslim ban thing happened. Oh my like, god! We are very active about it. And so, like, if you're not into that kind of stuff, 
You shouldn't work at NewsGrid. I love that. And by the way, people don't understand when we say pro-immigration, we're not talking about the numbers yeah. or we're just talking about the fact that, you know, it's a good thing. It, it, first of all, it's a good thing for business. It's a good thing for society, <laughs> culturally, diversity of thought. Like, of course. And immigrants are hungrier and they're ready to take. I think they're more tolerant because they've seen more than one narrative. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like it's important enough for us that we said this is part of our values as a company. Shafkat, I take my head off. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's uh, my company all embraced it too. So that's important. Those are the types of people. I don't know if it's. Because they work at NewsCred or we hired them because they're more open-minded, but it doesn't actually matter. But it doesn't matter. matter, yeah. If you make a change, you make a change. So before I ask you about your last name, I want to ask you about your first name. Yeah. What's Shafkat? So it's an Arabic name. Mm-hmm. It means compassion, which is actually one of the values of our company. Not because it's my name, so I didn't make it up. I didn't just force it on everyone. But yeah, that's what it means. It's, a, it's actually a value that I Try and live every day outside of work and at work as well. And it's in Arabic, not in Bengali. Uh, yeah, it's an Arabic name, mainly because Bangladeshis, as you said, a majority yeah. Muslim, so most of us have so Muslim names. So let's talk names. about majority Muslims. How is it? <laughs> With that last name? Yeah. I, I actually I mean, listen, I have compassion for you because, <laughs> you know, I'm a foreigner. And you hear it and alarm bells go off a little bit. No, like I'm thinking about you, you know, in the airport. Like it, It's crazy. Yeah. So... I never thought about it until 9-11. Not once. I never thought it was weird. I never thought it was strange that my last name was the name of a religion. Mm-hmm. It is fe- it's like Smith. Like, people have the last name Smith here. People have the last name Islam in Bangladesh. It's not weird at all. It's a common name. Very common. Okay. And no one made any comments about it. If we did this podcast in 1995, you might not even have asked me a question wow. about it. That's how what it was like. Wow. Whereas now, it's the first thing people comment on. It's the first thing people think about. When I call a restaurant, make a reservation, and they ask for my name, last name, not only do they pause, I even pause, uh, should I say my last name or should I just say like, you know, my wife's name just to make it easier or something. Um, in fact, my wife took my last name, so that doesn't make it that much easier. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's tricky, but I'm proud of it, and it's part of my identity, so I'm, I roll with it. What is it like to be a Muslim in America today? It's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's hard. And you live in the most, I would say, tolerant, diverse, tolerant, tolerant city, city in, in, in the country, yeah. It's hard because there's so much crazy stuff happening in America and the world in the name of religion, whereas I am so convinced that these crazy people have nothing to do with religion, have nothing to do with Islam. They don't know anything about it. But it's not only about Islam. It's also about hate on the other side yeah. and coloring everything in one color. Yeah, I. so it's the fact that it's... Uh, I think what's hard being Muslim is people think, oh, is all billion-plus Muslims in the world crazy? Like, of course no. not. We're just regular yeah, people. But but I think that what was added in 2017 is that the authorities tell them they that they yeah. are I mean, it's coming from the top of the country. It's from the president, right? right? I try. If you start thinking about it too much, honestly, it gets depressing. Uh Um, I believe that people ultimately, you know, are good people, and that they'll see through that rhetoric. Although, what's happening in America is that people are buying into that rhetoric that is coming from the president. I I just want everyone to get along and see good in people. 
Are you practicing Islam? No, not really. I mean, I more culturally, mm-hmm. uh, again, the word culture. I think I'm culturally Muslim, like certainly yeah, I'm I'll culturally go, Jewish. I uh, totally understand I'll do, what you mean. You know, I'll fast during, Ram- I'll during Ramadan. I'll take, if my dad's in town, I'll go to the mosque on Eid. Uh-huh. If he's not, I'll probably just sleep in. So, <laughs> that level. It's a part of your heritage. For sure. Yeah. You know, immigration was part of this country's ethos. Like this was, yeah. I, I believe it still is. And it will come back. I'm very optimistic that this is a short-term structural shift and eventually good will overcome and it'll people will return to their senses. I really believe that. But maybe it's because I'm generally an optimistic no, person. No, but I, I, by the way, I think that us having this conversation, publishing it, not being afraid, like one of the things that we want to do in home is, is empower and legitimize immigrants because there's nothing to be apologized of. Yeah. And I think that I'm very whole- proud to be an immigrant, which I never even thought of that as a concept before. Uh-huh. Um, we were talking before we started this podcast about like you, the word immigrant. Sometimes people don't like it. Like, in fact, now yeah, I, I like found it. Out that people don't like to say that. I, I like it more now than ever before. Maybe Why? before I didn't, because it's it's like something I'm very. It's just a. It's almost a badge of honor because, hmm. like, yeah, I immigrated to a country. Um, I had to fight to get that. Figure out how do I even get here? But you're a great contribution and to, now to I'm this giving, country. Yeah, now you're I'm giving back to the hundreds country. of people. Yeah, and I employ Im- immigrants as well. Yeah. My parents were immigrants. I th- it's something we should be proud of. I totally agree. I could yeah. not agree more. All right, last stuff. Here's the thing: when I started Homies, the first thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to give a platform for foreign-born communities. Mm-hmm. And then the first question I had to ask myself is, are everybody tribal as Israelis are? Because I only know my world. I mean, I traveled like you a lot, and I thought they are. Uh, but I really wanted to understand tribalism. How tribal are people from Bangladesh? People from Bangladesh love hanging out with other people from Bangladesh. Yeah. I'd say very tribal, but I think it's natural. I I actually don't think it's something unique about Asians or Israelis. I think we are all born with a sense of community, and people like being surrounded with like-minded people mm-hmm. because there's some level of comfort, home, feeling of home when you're away from home. And roots. Roots. Even something as simple as sharing a meal. Speaking the language, which you don't get to speak all the time. Do you like speak Bengali? I like it. I don't speak it enough. I like, you know, sometimes we'll meet with Bangladeshis and we'll laugh about, remember that advertisement that was of on TV course. in Bangladeshi TV? Like, we didn't, we hardly grew up in Bangladesh, but we when we went, we all watched the same shows. the shared right? context. Yeah, the shared context is what makes it fun. And I think we're all, it's 2017, we all also like... Meeting people with diverse thoughts. Of we don't. Course. I, I Not all of us, unfortunately, but I yeah, do but think the it's big important. cities do. I think just hanging out with Bangladeshis would also be a little sad. Sure. So I try and mix and it up. When it comes to your family, you're married to a Nepalese. Is there such thing called Desi? Like, you know, some yeah. people... T- but I don't it, think it's a bad thing or more good so thing. So explain it's just us, a like, a lot of, like so what is Desi? Desi is a word used to describe anyone from the South Asian Subcontinent, so Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, India, Sri Lanka, etc. And is it okay to it, bundle them? 
Yeah, they she just means like a brown person. Mm-hmm. I say brown person all the okay. time. I don't think it's that weird. I think in America sometimes I say brown person, and everyone's like, "Oh, are you allowed to say that?" Yeah, well, you need not? to Whatever. find like a politically correct phrase for it. Maybe, but like okay. they see brown person, someone from the south con- subcontinent, South Asian. It's all the same. Is that and a coincidence? You got married with one. I don't think it's a cool, full coincidence. It's a coincidence. I happened to meet her at the bar, and she happened sure. to be Nepali. But in your but mind, in your having what? similar cultural context that we can share, certainly accelerated our process of falling in love and getting married. I think that's important. You're going to spend the rest of your life with someone if they can understand your identity, your roots, your culture. Even if she's not from Bangladesh, we have a lot of shared heritage. So you do. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's even simple things like how we get married in our two cultures, very similar. How we, what kind of food we eat, our languages. Yeah. I can, she can understands Bengali a lot better than me understanding Nepali. But um, yeah, there's shared I, context. And the reason I ask is like on the personal level, I always think that eventually. Um, First-generation immigration, what we call foreign-born, mm-hmm. they'll always be split for the rest of their life. But when you have kids and you have um, two little ones, right? Yeah, two little I think ones. that's when the questions of identity are starting to arise. It's a little bit more complicated. Frankly, we haven't even talked about it yet. They're too but, small. At some point, we're going to have to have some hard decisions. I'm optimistic. Who do you want them to be? I want them to be a mix, to be honest, a book. Okay. And like mix of both cultures is actually pretty easy. Mix of two religions. Remember, ours is complicated because we're also two religions. Mm-hmm. She's Hindu, I'm Muslim. Okay. In fact, my parents are Hindu-Muslim mixed too. Huh. Uh, but so, why are you Muslim? Yeah, I. You know, my parents were very tolerant and open-minded. Yeah. My brother's actually Christian. Okay. So, like, it just so happens that I chose it. Like, my parents didn't force it on me. And could have been cool to be Shafkat Islam and Christian. My brother is Shujat Islam and Christian, by oh the way. Oh my god. Yeah. So imagine that. That's gonna Can be- he explain that in an airport? <laughs> <laughs> that you should ask him. You okay. should get him on the show. I will. Um look, I think you're a good example of you know, you live your life, but like from the outside of something that is very impressing statistically. You come from a country that has no heritage of technology. Yes, you're and you came here. And you know, if if foreign born people hear us outside of the U.S. or inside the U.S., what would be your, you know, biggest kind of tip for them to believe that yeah. they can create a company, come here or anywhere else in the world with their accents and create something as massive as New Squared? Um, well, I don't think we're that massive yet, but I understand the question. I think the the thing that I always lean on is often the obstacles are in our head more than in reality. And you that think, I'm, I'm... You don't I'm, think... Like, you go to the immigration eight hours, it's not in your head. No, that's real. But I'm optimistic about the long term, even if the short term realities are painful. And I talk about this a lot in NewsCred and our values. I've wrote, written blog posts about this. So I'm optimistic long term that anyone can come to this country and build an amazing company, even if you don't know anyone, and figure it out. And the reason I'm also is, real. I'm also realistic. In the short term, it will. There may be painful obstacles. You may have to wait at JFK Airport for eight hours. You may not get funding and almost run out of money. You may have to do all of those things. But just have a long term view that's optimistic and positive. And I think you can get. I think you can just get shit done. Like to me, this is a country that still affords that opportunity more than almost any other place in the world. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, people always ask me, how is it to be a foreign? born person in New York and um, I had my head of sales at AOL used to tell me 
I want you to come because they think you're smart because of your accent. Accent, yeah. <laughs> There's some upside in New York is such an open uh, yeah. um, city. I, w- I will say there's a lot of other people like us here. So lean on them. Is That's another tip. Find do we, do other- we have something in common by, th- by being foreign I think so, more? yeah. That's another, it's a different type of tribe. It's a different dimension. Oh, by the way, right? I was introduced to you by my CFO that went to work for you. Yeah. And he thought we should meet and he probably thought we should meet because we have We're foreign, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's two brown guys. <laughs> but that's how we met. And like, there's something we like spending time with each other. I think we, yeah. it's not because we did any big business deal or anything. Correct. Um, so I think if I need help one day for something, I'll probably call you. And that's why let's, if the people who are just coming or struggling, Lean on other foreign-born people because there's a lot of them here and they're all going through the same thing. I agree. You know, I think these conversations, like ours, should be heard. Yeah, I agree. And I think the crazy part is that in 10 years of living in America, literally no one has asked me any of these questions. No shit. Ever. Never. It never comes up. So this Awkward is like... to talk about, maybe. But I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, Shavka, thank you. thank you so much. Yeah, this was a fun chat. It was chat. amazing. Thank you.